Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, the, at the moment, we're taking a look at what the church should be. How God intended the church to be. What we learned last week, the big idea was this. Don't allow a dodgy kebab to ruin your appetite for the lamb roast. For the vegetarians here, I apologise. No analogy is perfect, but you get what I mean. Most of us at some point or other or our friends have experienced a dodgy Christian. And so people have lost their appetite for God. And as we learned last week, that one of the great reasons why people struggle to believe in God is because of the church. That's why we're looking at what the church should be. In fact, we've come to a day and an age where because if we're real about it, some of the actions of the church is meant people almost have to believe these days despite Christians. If they're going to believe in God, it needs to be despite Christians. And more often than not, it leads to a statement that we're going to drill in today, that we're going to speak into today. It's a statement that you might have said yourself. Because at any point in time in this place, we have people, particularly this time of year, that are searching, wondering what God is like, wrestling with the church. It's this statement that says, I don't have a problem with God. I believe in God, but I don't want the church. Anyone had a friend who said that to them? Colleague, co-worker? I think I'm speaking to the room here. And we're going to speak into that this morning. And as a pastor, whenever I hear that statement, because I hear it all the time, you know, I always want to ask, what is, what is underneath that? And underneath that, I think, is one, or, one of two different positions at either ends of the spectrum. There's this position over here. Often people say that because they've, they've eaten a dodgy kebab. They've been hurt by a Christian somewhere, somehow, at some time. A Christian has hurt them. And so they said, that is it. I'm never going back to the church. My relationship with God is personal. And then you have people over at the other end of the spectrum, which I think is just a function of our highly individualistic Western culture. We're a culture that um, to submit to a church or any form of authority cuts against the grain of who we are, right? To be your true self in our society these days is to follow your passions, your dreams, your desires. And so to be a part of a church, no, my relationship with God is just personal. I want to go my own way. In other words, you should just do it yourself. You know, there was a guy, Robert Bella, he wrote a book, Habits of the Heart. In that book, he said that he'd surveyed American Christians. And in that survey, 80% of the Christians that he surveyed found this. That they said that it is possible for Christians to find God, find their religion in the absence of church or the scriptures. 80%. Now, allowing for the American factor and allowing for differences in culture for all of us, even if I was conservative and said, what, maybe 50%, 40% of the room here this morning, um, don't you think that there's something that needs to be spoken into this? I've got to be speaking to someone here this morning when I say to you that what if I said to you, you cannot fully know yourself apart from community. That's what we call the church. You've got to be in community. And you're saying to me, how? Why? Why should I? Here's where we'll go this morning. Uh, because you, first of all, you can't trust yourself apart from community. Secondly, you can't see yourself apart from community. And thirdly, we'll see that you, you cannot know God apart from community. You can't trust yourself, see yourself, know God. Here's the first thing this morning. You cannot trust yourself apart from community. Verse 9 of Romans 12 that Annie read says here, 
that love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, if I look at this, I think, I think that's the sort of Bible verse that the average Sydney cider can handle, right? Uh, I just want Christianity, to love, what, love must be sincere, to be real and for us to all be good people. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. But there's a catch in this verse here, right? Here's the catch. How do you know what is evil and what is good if you are your own authority? <laughs> Who's to say right is wrong? Who's to say good from bad if you know nothing else but your own desires? You see, the catch is this. You, 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 want, you want to know what is right and wrong, but your feelings conflict. I don't know about you, I'm feeling that already 21 days into the year, 22 days into the year. I know I want to get fit this year. I know I, know I want to go to the gym. I know I want to be a lot fitter this year. And at the same time, I, I know that I love ice cream. <laughs> you can't trust yourself by yourself, can you? You can't trust yourself apart from community. Look, this thing's been going on since the ancient, ancient days. In uh, Homer's Odyssey, the Odyssey, an ancient piece of literature. Odysseus, the main character there, is, is on his way home and he has to sail past the island of the Sirens. And uh, what would happen is if any of the sailors sailed past the island of the Sirens, that their song would be so beautiful that it would enchant them and they would steer their ship and they would crash into the rocks. And so what does Odysseus do? Odysseus, he gathers all of his men together, all of his sailors, and he says, we're going to go past the island of the sirens. They're going to sing a song, I can't trust myself. And so what does he do? He straps himself to the mast. And before he does so, he, puts, he gets ready to put beeswax in the ears of his sailors so they don't go insane as well. And before he does, he says to them, look, look I'm not going to put beeswax in. I'm going to strap myself to the mask. I'm going to say crazy things. I'm going to go insane. But for heaven's sake, just leave me tied to the mast and we will make it home. What I want to say to you is that when you're in community, you have to strap yourself to the mast. You have to set the course in your life and you have to strap yourself to the mast. You have to delegate authority over your life the same way that Odysseus did over his with his men. And here's why. If you know yourself, you're never going to stay the course over the whole trajectory of life, right? Some of you might all have already experienced that. You've had good seasons, you've had challenging seasons, but spiritually speaking you'll lose your mind unless there are people around you that you've authorized and you've deputized and you've delegated to that you've said you now have control over me that you know that there'll be a time in your life that you unless you authorize people to come in and intervene and say you know what I'm not going to listen to you I'm not going to be swayed by you I'm not going to change I'm going to grab you I'm, I'm going to hold you to this because I know the you I'm hearing is not the real you Unless you do that, then at some point you'll be headed for the rocks, right? You want, hey, you want to, I'm like, I'm like 8th century BC, let's get a bit more modern here. You want an enthralling case study of how this works? Um, it's a little known teenager called Nick Kyrgios. Right? <laughs> We've seen Nick's meltdown this week, last week in the tennis. Poor Nick Kyrgios, there was uh, an article 
an article by his former coach where his former coach had said, there's come a time in my opinion where he does need a bit more stability from a coaching setup, where he's going on the court and just working on his game. That can be just as simple as 15 minutes a day. Imagine if Nick Kyrgios worked on his tennis game 15 minutes a day. It sounds crazy, but actually it's not, it's not actually happening and he's still number 13 in the world. <laughs> Can you believe how crazy this was? After all of his meant down, number 13 in the world, in the press conference he says, they said, what went wrong, Nick? I, I don't know, maybe during the preseason I shouldn't have played as much basketball. Nick! You're a world-class, what are you doing playing basketball? Then you, get to, then you get down to people like Pat Cash who says, absolutely, Kyrgios needs a coach, but I'm not going to be the one to do it. <laughs> Guys, you, look, you want to know the tragedy? We're all laughing because we can all see this clear as day, can't we? The tragedy is everyone can see that Nick Kyrgios, a young guy of incredible, immense, champion-grade potential is this far, he is on the precipice of realising all that God, if we want to use that spiritual term, has created him to be. He's on that precipice, but he will never cross that unless he makes this decision. And that is to move himself into community and to get a coach. Come on. Look, can I, can I push you a little bit? If, if, if we know that this is true of Nick Kyrgios and his tennis, can I suggest to you that Nick's story is our story? The only good thing for us is we don't have to have our lives play out on a centre court. But can I say to you, can I ask you to be real with yourself and, and say how many, times have, how many times have you mouthed off on, on court in your life this week? How many times have you smashed a racket behind the scenes this week? How many times have you felt conflicted and confused this week? His story is our story. And if we know it to be true, that if what Nick needs to reach his potential is to be coached, to come under authority, to come into community, could it not be true of you? Real transformation only ever happens when you come underneath authority and into community. So the first thing is you can't trust yourself. If you are there to look at yourself well enough, can I suggest you can't trust yourself. You need to come into community and so you can have those people around you deputised to speak into your life to bring about real change. Here's the second thing. You cannot see yourself apart from community. Not only can you not trust yourself, you can't see yourself. Now some of you are going, of course I can see myself. I saw myself in the mirror this morning. I can see myself fine. Uh, but let me ask you this, why is it that when we see ourselves in the mirror and then uh, we go and see a photo of ourselves later on that day amongst all of our friends and you look and go, oh my goodness, I don't look like that. That's a horrible picture of me. Ever notice that your friends are all silent? <laughs> why is that? It's because in their mind they're saying, well, that, that's exactly what you look like. <laughs> you see yourself, but you don't really see yourself. Oh, here's, here's the other one. Who hates hearing their, themselves played back on a recording? Oh, don't ever become a preacher. <laughs> and, you know, why, why is that? When you, you, you go, you hear a recording of yourself, you go, that's not my voice. It's too high. It's too whiny. It's too stringy. And, and all, all your friends, it's crickets. No one says a word. Because they're like, that's exactly how you sound. Why is that? Because you're always you're hearing yourself from the inside, not the outside. You're hearing yourself from your own perspective. 
And ironically, there's an interesting passage of the Bible that, that says, encourage another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, what it's saying there is that in sin, we define that as a self-centeredness, not good deeds versus bad deeds. There's a sort of blindness that is created the same way that you are blind to how your voice truly sounds. It's because you're always seeing yourself from the inside, not the outside. It's a bit like this too. You know, have you ever been in those, I'm sure you guys would never do this, but have you ever been in those scenarios where, where you've been good friends with someone and they, they have a certain tick or a character flaw or something in them that absolutely everyone can see, everyone except for them? And it's the sort of thing, I know you wouldn't do it. It's only for me from time to time that I've done it, but everyone sniggers at that. Or when you're out of the presence of that friend, you know, oh, that's, yeah, that's Julie. She just, you know, will she ever be quiet? Well, that's Tom, you know, he never stops going on about his cars. <laughs> so we, we've all got this thing that, well, possibly, I know you don't do it. We've got, all got this thing with friends where, <laughs> where we know it's so, to be so true and, and Julie or John, they're, they're absolutely blind to it. Now, if we know it's true of everyone else, could it be true of us? That there are things within us that when we leave the room, that's what we leave in the room. Remember how I said character leaks. Character is always leaking. So the question is, how do you, how do you know those blind spots by the deceitfulness of sin in what your character is? Here's how it happens. Here's the second principle. You have to have some people who you see so often, daily or regularly, that they see who you truly are and they catch you just being you. You've got to be around people long enough that they just catch you being you. You can't possibly know all of yourself by yourself, right? That there are things between the shoulder blades of your soul and your character that no matter how hard you try and turn and have a look, you're never going to see unless you're in community. So not only can you not trust yourself, but you can't fully see yourself unless you're in community. How do you find the blind spots? Um, there have to be people in your life, peers, other people, other Christians who have experienced the grace of God, who are patient, who are loving, but you let into your life pretty far. You go deep with them. You say to them, you know what? I'm going to tell you in certain settings that you have the authority. I'm going to delegate to you. I'm strapping myself to the mast. You have the authority to tell me what I'm supposed to do with my money. I'm strapping myself to the mast. I'm going to get into relationships and, and, and I'm giving you authority to, to tell you, to tell me about how I should be leading my life sexually. That how I'm relating to other people, the blind spots in my character, I delegate that authority to you. Now, look, here's the thing, guys. How does that happen if you are just turning up into a context where we get some inspiration and we take a few notes and then we go home again? It can't possibly happen, can it? We can't possibly fulfill this verse if we are not in deep community with one another unless you've deputized some people. By the way, you do that with them. It's mutual in this thing called the church. Now, some of you are saying, well, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. I'm not getting that vulnerable with people. What, what qualifications have they got to do that in my life? I mean, they're not a minister. They're not a counselor. They're not a therapist. Why, what, what qualification have they got to do that? You ready for it? Here's the answer. They're not you. 
That's all they need, someone who is not you. People who are not you can always be able to look in and love in Christian community and show you the things that you can't possibly see. You cannot fully see yourself apart from community. Finally, you cannot know God apart from community. We just sang a song that said our God is three in one. There's, uh, there's a bit of theology that will give you a nosebleed if I tried to explain it to you now. But God is three persons. God is a community. And what that means is you cannot know an us just as a me. In other words, you cannot know God individual, individually. And let me use an illustration here that has had a profound impact on how I see this. The famous part of the book by um, C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves, where he talks about the loss of a, a good friend. He was a group of three. With, uh, he was known as Jack and there was Charles and, and then there was Ronald. And uh, in other words, he said, in each of my friends, there is someone that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole person into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all of his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Caroline joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is far away, I have less of Ronald. We possess each friend not less but more as the number of those with whom we share him increases. Did you hear that? You catch that? This is profound. Good friend, good friend Charles dies and he says, great, I'm going, to have, I'm going to have more of Ronald now that Charles has died. And he says, no. He says, when Charles died, I thought I would have more of Ronald, but actually I had less. Each friend is bringing out in someone something that the other person couldn't do by themselves. Now, I want to push it on you that you know this to be true. If you've been blessed to be married, as I have, I've seen the way that it's worked in my wife, Kristen, up until... We had kids. I thought I knew all there was about her. And then a little child, a new member of our community. Suddenly we became community, comes into our life. And I see a depth of her love and I see a depth of her patience. And I see a depth of her kindness and tenderness that I couldn't possibly have brought out. And then it continued and then we had another little one. Another little feisty one. And she brought out even more of the patience in my beautiful wife. But then she also brought out in that other member of our community a big brother that we never knew existed in all of that. See, we know this to be true. We're built for community. Now, what I want to say to you is if it's true, if it's true of the family unit, if we can see so clearly that many of us experience, whether in marriage or with friends, friendships, families, if we know that dynamic to be true, that when we're around more people, we have more in community. If it's true for humans, then would it stand a reason that it's not also true for the person of Jesus Christ? You cannot know God by yourself. Not that God can't be known in the philosophical sense. What I mean is you can't know all the facets of God until you move into a community and you're wrestling with Jesus or you're angry with God about this and that and someone else comes to you in a group and says, I understand your situation. I've, I've lost someone in my life as well. I've been in the depths of sorrow. But you know what? I didn't experience God like that. This is how I experienced him. And then in that moment, the thing that could be kicking you away from the church draws you ever closer to the church because you see God in a whole new light. So can you see what it means? What I want to say to you, if you're the sort of person or you know a friend that thinks by ditching the church 
by, by kicking that aspect out of, of community, out of their spiritual life, that they're actually getting more of God, can we see now that you're actually getting less? You cannot know God apart from community. And so it means until you get into this community alongside people, you'll never see the real Jesus unless you get these multiple perspectives. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Have you ever found, um, have you ever found if, if you've been around uh, friends or family members, you do these idiosyncratic things that, um, that really bug them? They'll often say this phrase to you, oh my goodness, you are so like your father. You are so like your mother. You are so like your brother. You know, why, why is that? You become most like the people that you hang around most. <laughs> and so what I say to you is the primary vehicle for changing us is our social community, the people around us. And so that's why I say to people, if people say, look, my relationship's with God, I'm carving my own path in life, I'm forming myself. No, you're not forming yourself. Someone, something, some group is forming you. It could be your work, it could be a family, family. It, it could be a group of social friends. Something is forming you. Don't think that the church is the only forming community in the world. We're all floating down the stream either way. It just depends whereabouts you're paddling in that. But we're being changed by the people around us. And how do we do this as Christians? It's the one and other passages of the Bible. You know, the exegetical types are thinking, when's Sam getting to Romans 12 <laughs> in the last three to four minutes of his sermon? Great, wow. Um, the, the reason is I want to just give it to you guys for homework. It's the one and other passages. Be devoted to one another and brother and sisterly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. It's all of the one another passages that we're meant to do. Accept one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, pray for one another, confess sins to one another, cheer and challenge one another, admonish one another, confront one another, warn one another, teach one another. Stop gossiping and slandering, being fake with one another, submit to each other, bear burdens with one another, share possessions with one another, submit to one another. Guys, do you think that possibly happens in a Sunday service? No way. And I guess as we get ready to finish up this morning, the application point is going to be implied, but our character is shaped by the people who we eat with, play with, do life with. God-shaped people are enabled to form deep community, but it's only in deep community that we become God-shaped people. So here we are this morning. Getting ready to walk out. Here, what are you got to do? I think we've all got to have a curios moment, not a kairos moment, a curios moment. It is a moment that needs to break in. We need a curios moment. I think this morning for you and I, each of us face exactly the same decision that Nick has got to make. I want to tell each and every one of you that you, you, you are God's workmanship. Ephesians says you are God's artwork. The Bible says that there is a talent, there is a potential in you that is A-grade champion's material. There is limitless potential with your life and each and every one of us are on a precipice, the same precipice that everyone can see Nick Kyrgios is in and that is this. Each of us need to make a commitment to come into community. Not attend a worship service, community. Eat, life, pray, drink, wrestle, do life together with one another. Apart from that, you won't change. I hope we've seen that this morning. 
And I know, I know the wrestles with it. You know, it's, it's C.S. Lewis again, he, he called it, the, as we finished, the scandal of, pecu- the scandal of particularity. And it goes like this. I know how people think, and you know, there's maybe a lot of people looking for a church this morning. They come in and they go, I don't know if I want to join a church. I don't, I look, I, I, I like the music, but I don't like the preacher. Or I like the preacher, but I don't like the music. Or I like the preacher and the music, but I don't like the people. Or I like the preacher, music, and the people, but I don't like the building. <laughs> the scandal of particularity. And as, look, can I say to you this morning, let me just front load this. No, no church will ever fit you properly. And that is because I believe there are sharp edges to you that as Spurgeon said, the stone is rolled smooth in the river of truth. There are edges to you, there are shapes to you that are not meant to fit because when you move into community, into community they're the very shapes that God is wanting to deshape from you. And so of course no church is going to fit for you. And Lewis, when he wrote his book, Mere Christianity, some years ago, he said, I'm, going to talk, I'm not going to talk about Greek Orthodoxy or Roman Catholicism or Presbyterian or Baptist. I'm going to talk about general mere Christianity. I love it. A lot of people love that because that's what we want, right? We just want mere Christianity. And instead of getting into denominations and difference, don't we just want to be Christians? Yeah, of course we do. And yet he wrote this major warning at the beginning of his book. He says, I hope no reader will suppose mere Christianity is put forth here as an alternative to existing churches as if you could adopt Christianity in preference to Presbyterianism or Anglicanism or Catholicism or Greek Orthodoxy. He says, what I'm writing is more like a hall out of which doors open into several rooms. If I can bring anyone into the hallway, I shall have done what I attempted. But it is in the rooms, not the hall, where there are fires and chairs and meals and friendship. hear this because I know a lot of Christians want this we want the mere Christianity but hear what C.S. Lewis says it's, it's not in the hallway it's, it's in the rooms and of course in the rooms you're going to find people that you brush up against that rattle you that you don't like you're going to find things about the church that you don't like that rattle you but can I say to you that life Christian life is meant to be lived in the rooms not the hallway You've got to get into a real church. And it's a time of year where people are often, often looking for a church. And I want to say to you up front publicly, because I do to every guest that is here, if you're looking for a church, just find a church. Maybe here, or there's a great church up the road, Northside Baptist, or Lighthouse Church in Crow's Nest, or St. Thomas's Anglican, or Church by the Bridge. There are a lot of amazing different churches. And I wholeheartedly believe that when people are looking for a new spiritual home, God finds the right place and the fit for them. But please, please do not be the sort of Christian that lives their life in the hallway. Last time I read the Bible, Jesus said that if you're a follower of his, we're a family. That means we're meant to eat together, drink together, pray together, do life together. That's what the church is meant to be. And if we come into this looking for some notes and a bit of inspiration, then we're not doing it the way that God intended it to be. Let's rest with that. Let's pray. Amen. Father God, we thank you for this place called your church. We thank you for the place that it shifts us and it wrestles us and it changes us. Father, I thank you for this place, a place where I see a heart of a people that um, 
just want to do all that we read from this morning to love sincerely. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. I pray for each and every one of us that you would continue to guide us, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to craft a church that is not all truth and no love, or not all love and no truth, but we would be a church of truth and love. A church that in community and close proximity, willing to challenge one another, but love one another. Help us find that balance, that beam, which I know I do. I fall off constantly all through the week with my brothers and sisters here but continue to keep us straight on that path, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for anyone in this place who's been hurt by the church, anyone in this place who, uh, for, for the actions of another Christian or the imperfection that is all of us God's people, that they've been turned away from you. I just pray in the supernatural. Maybe you've brought people here today and because this message has resonated with them on the web or a friend's invited them. And I, Look, I just pray that we would get out of the way of them this morning, Father, and in these final moments, they would see and they would experience you and what you had designed your church to be. And Father, for all of us here that call ourselves Northsiders, Lord, continue to push into us, press into us, break down the false assumptions in our own minds. May we bear with one another. May we pick just one or two of these things that we've heard this morning from that passage. Do our homework. Live this out, I pray. Father, I thank you for the momentum and the surge that is happening through this wiki church stuff. We give it snazzy names, what we've seen from your word this morning. It's simply the growth of your church. It's your people responding to being a part of how you've intended it to be. Lord, continue to do that. That is, that is beyond us. That is you at work in this place. And I pray lives will be changed because of people's decision to commit to that. And I thank you for that in advance now, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.